Again, I'm just so happy to be here. I want you to know that. And it's fun for me to look around. I noticed uh, this couple when they came in, hugged the people in the second row, and a uh, sense of, uh, of, of, of uh, love and of uh, sort of mutual gospel in this together here. Praise God for it. I, I really view this campus as one of the, the key spark plugs to our entire church. And uh, so much uh, energy and ideas and, and volunteerism and all that comes from here, it's uh, truly a blessing. So um, before I get into God's Word, I just thought I'd give you a couple of, of uh, updates on some things here at the campus. I know Pastor Brad was here, I think it was last week, and uh, shared news about um, our search for the campus pastor, uh, some exciting news about now Pastor Scott Irwin, and... Uh, he, I think he said something like, and Steve's here next week, and he's going to share some updates about uh, the facility, and so I'm going to do that right now. Um, more and better. So more and better, like three years ago, we did a big capital campaign, and, and uh, we raised money. We had a lot of projects across all of our campuses, uh, including here, and we have completed a couple of the things here that we wanted to with respect to some of the classrooms that I think are basically almost done. Um, but we continue to have some other improvements that we want to make here, including uh, work done on the check-in area and expanding and opening that up there in the hallway. Uh, that is at the, the design stage right now, but we're hoping to get that underway very soon. We also have some uh, things here in this space that we would like to um, improve. The audio, the, the, some of the visual, the lighting, and some different things, uh, all of it tremendously expensive, I might add, but we are trying to work our way, be good stewards of God's resources, but for this space to be as conducive as possible to, uh, to the congregation praising the Lord. And so uh, you're going to see some things, I think, over the next couple months as we continue to uh, refine and improve uh, this tool, that's all a building is, it's just a tool. Uh, the church is the people, but we'd like to, uh, uh, to do that. And if somebody would want to write a very large check, I would be happy to, <laughs> I would be happy to uh, redo the front of this building and um, give that a, a, I don't know, freshening, shall we say. And that's in my heart, and I'm looking for a good idea on how to do that. So if you don't have a large check to write, if you have a great idea... Uh, please bring that as well. So we'll see about all of that. But praise God for what he's doing here. I'm delighted to be here today. My role is to, uh, is to open God's word and to point you to him. And I think today, and in fact, this whole series on habits of grace, after you know, three and a half years in Romans, has been, even just the few weeks we've done it, I think has been very helpful because it is eminently practical to how do I have a daily walk with God? How do I grow in my, my relationship with God, along with lots of practical tips on how to do it? Today is going to be uh, much the same. And today I'm, I'm talking about Christian meditation and Christian contemplation. Now those are both very big words, and I don't want that to uh, to scare you, last night I was sitting next to my wife and my six-year-old daughter who was reading to her, and she was sounding the words out, and she got some really big words that she sounded out. I was so proud of her. I hope today I'm proud of all of you. 
as we sound out together a couple of big words, but words and truths that hold tremendous potential in your own life to change the way that you think and change the way that you live and for this to become a daily reality in your life. Now, we've spent a couple weeks talking about let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and we talked about it in terms of like tea bags and the making of tea and how you put tea in a, in a glass of hot water and that tea saturates the water, that God's word in us is like that in that as we, as we uh, expose ourselves to God's word, it has a kind of seeping effect in our life. And so the more of that that we can have, the better. This past week I talked at a, I spoke at a chapel at a, a local Christian high school. And my own story, I, I grew up in a Christian home. I, I grew up going to a Wana Timothy Award. No applause for that, okay. Uh, Timothy Award. I still have it to this day, my Timothy Award. Uh, I graduated from a Christian high school. I mean, I was one of these church kids who, you know, I had a lot of stuff in my brain. It was, it was jammed in there. I had Bible verses, and I was fairly, even as a high schooler, fairly, you know, fluent in basic things in the Bible and doctrine, and it was all up here. And there are a lot of people that are like that. Maybe you are. I mean, maybe if, if we gave you the chance, you could amaze all of us with how much you know about the Bible and how much you know about God. But what I told this school was the big challenge with people who have a lot of God's word in their brain is making the 12-inch the, the distance from my brain to my heart. Knowledge puffs up, the Bible says. And even knowing the Bible all by itself does not bring about transformation in my life if what is here does not seep its way down to my heart. A lot of people miss that by 12 inches, and I don't want any of us to be that today. And what I'm talking about today is how we connect the, the mind to the heart in ways that allow that truth to change my life and to conform me to the likeness of Jesus Christ. So as we talk about this, I want to just begin with a very brief theology of the mind, okay? A theology of the mind. The Bible has a lot to say about our, our mind, and the habit of grace of contemplation or Christian meditation has to do with the way that God has so wired our, our minds, and when I talk about meditation, by the way, I'm not talking about meditation like if you've ever heard of uh, transcendental meditators. They, this is a kind of almost like a religion unto itself where the goal is to sort of play a mind game where you detach from the world. Christian meditation is the opposite of that. It doesn't detach us from the world. It invades the world. It invades our world. It connects God's truth with my world and renews my inner self day by day. Do you realize that with God's help, all of us can change the way that we think? In fact, this might be one of the most crucial things in my Christian life, is to change the way that I think. Now you say, well, why, you know, why would that uh, be the case? Well, because it is very easy for us to outwardly posture 
a kind of Christianity, but inwardly to be very different from that. The Pharisees teach us that, right? They were famous for an outward religion, an outward kind of conformity to religious expectations, but Jesus had very sharp things to say inside your whitewashed tombs, which was where uh, in that day was the outhouses of the day. You are, you are, uh, you're like a whitewashed outhouse. You look clean on the outside, but inside you're full of all kinds of nastiness. And when it comes to the way that we think, okay, how we think and what we think, and what we think about says more about the real us, who we are, than any outward action, even going to church this morning. Here's Proverbs 23, verse 7. For as he thinks within himself, I think the King James is, for as a man thinks within himself, so is he. For as a man thinks, so is he. I read somewhere, it's a British saying, that, that character is destiny. Because our character is who we are on the inside. And that will more shape the directions of our life than anything else. Character, the inner self, the realm of the mind and the soul. This is, this is the part of us where we ponder and muse and consider, think, brood, ruminate, contemplate. And our outward lives are largely the outcome of our inward lives. Who we are on the outside is largely who we are on the inside. So we can say it this way, who we are inwardly is who we truly are. And it's who we become. Now the theology of the mind relates to this now, that before we become a Christian, and I hope everybody here is a Christian, if you are not a Christian, you become a Christian by seeing the fact that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, his name is Jesus, you look to the cross of Christ and realize that Jesus died there for you. He died in your place for your guilt. Faith and trust in him, the Bible says, is what places us in the realm of salvation. We are under the grace of God, we are, we are we are in the family of God. We have the gift of eternal life. All of this by virtue of a turning away from sin and a turning by faith in towards Jesus Christ. Now, before Christ invades our life, the Bible says that our minds are darkened. This is Ephesians 4. That the natural person, the sinful person, spiritually, our minds are darkened in understanding. We are ignorant spiritually, and we are hard-hearted. Now, we could add to that list things like this. Selfish, hopeless, toxic, greedy, jealous, divisive, angry, and a host of other sort of mental, internal vices that uh, corrupt us. But after salvation... Here's what the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, notice, he's a new creation. The old is gone, behold, the new has come. And we look at that, and often we like, yeah, I'm a new creation, I'm, I'm like saved, I, I, when I die, I go to heaven, and these things are true. But part of what that means is that there is now a new creation, a new life in the inner me, by the Holy Spirit. Within me, there is this new thing that prior to Christ, I did not have. And this new thing, 
by the Spirit of God is a capacity now to see the world the way that God sees it, to view the world through the truth of God's scriptures, and essentially to think God-like thoughts after God. The Bible calls this the mind of Christ. It is for me to have a, a, a kind of mind that is shaped by the truth of God, which changes the way that I think and therefore changes who I am and who I become. This is all part of God's plan. Now, that said, the old self is still within us. And the old self still wants to think the way that I used to think and to view the world the way that I used to view before I met Jesus Christ. And that kind of thinking, I'm going to call stinking thinking. Did any of you do any stinking thinking this week? What do I mean by stinking thinking? Well, did you have any kind of, I don't know, bad thoughts of somebody else? Possibly. Self-loathing? Relationally destructive thinking? Maybe you laid in bed, maybe, and thought about a conversation with somebody that has betrayed you or hurt you and thought, imagine what you would say to them, and then they would say this to you, and then I'm going to say that to them. And I'm going to put them in their place, and, and it's going to be great because I am going to one-up them. Anybody think like that? How about lust-filled thoughts this week? Sexual thoughts that if you acted upon them would be sin. Self-destructive anxieties and fears. Maybe faithless approaches to problems. On and on we could go with the kind of thinking that is a kind of stinking thinking. It's the kind of thinking that an atheist would have, <laughs> approaching the world, not believing in any God or the promises of God or anything else. This kind of thinking, John Milton, not a Christian, I don't believe, but to quote him, said this in Paradise Lost, it's so true, the mind is its own place and in itself can make a heaven of hell a hell of heaven. This mind that I have, this flesh that is set against God is stinking thinking and is destructive. It is the carnal mind. And we should look at this and say, is this the way that God wants me to be on the inside as I'm pondering and ruminating and considering my life? To be essentially sinful in my thoughts? And obviously the answer is no. Because Jesus came to set us free from the bondage of sin. And that is not merely the punishment for sin, it is also the effect of sin. This transformation that God wants in us is on the inside as well. In fact, I could argue it's most primarily on the inside. Otherwise, we're just Pharisees, you know, outwardly kind of conforming to this religious expectation. No, God is changing us on the inside. And as I talk about this, realize I'm not talking about some psychological babble or mind games or something like that. We're talking about supernatural transformation by the power of God, by the presence of the Holy Spirit indwelt within me, by which the power of the resurrected Christ makes me new. And the presence of the Holy Spirit inwardly renews me day by day. That's what we're talking about. Which brings us now to this whole concept of habit of grace. Okay, Our whole theme and our whole of this series. And this definition that we're using for what is a habit of grace. A habit of grace is a God-ordained channel of his transforming power 
into our lives to grow us into the character and the likeness of Christ. And what we're focusing on today is the inward aspect of that and how I appropriate the truth of God's word, which is outside of me, inside of me. How do I get it from my mind, knowing about God and about his word, to my heart, where it transforms and renews me inwardly? How do we do this? And this goal, I would say to all of us, should be a daily goal. A daily goal. I've got a great illustration about a pilot coming up here, why we need this on a regular basis. But if you have a Bible, you can turn to Romans 12 too. This is not so much an expositional message as it is a, a, an application message. But Romans 12 too says it this way, talking about how do I have a renewed mind, okay? A renewed mind. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, okay? How? By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world. World here is the is the, is the world apart from God. It's a way of thinking and a, and a value set that lives a kind of secularism. There is no God. Man is the highest good. And so I'm going to live as if I am the, I, I essentially am my own God. No, that's the world. We're said not to live according to the pattern of this world. That's how the NIV translates it, the, the, the pattern of this world. I remember when I was in, in, in uh, middle school, we called it junior high back in the day. When I was in junior high, I think seventh grade, we all were required to take a home ec class. Do they, do they still require kids to do that? I don't know. Yes, some teachers, are you a teacher? You just know things? Okay, all right. <laughs> I've referred to you twice now in this sermon. You're gonna be so godly when you leave here, it's gonna be unbelievable. So home ec class, seventh grade, and you know, we had to learn how to you know, turn the stove on and to cook a cookie or to, but one of the things we had to learn was sewing, okay, sewing. And I wasn't really excited about the sewing part uh, so much, but here's what I remember, is that there was a bunch of fabric that they provided and a pattern. And the way that you made the clothes is you laid the pattern out and you cut for the pant or the shirt, you would cut according to the pattern. And what Paul is saying here in Romans 12 is that there is a, a kind of thinking, a pattern, a way that the world thinks about things that it very much is trying to conform us to. It is, it is laying that pattern out of this is what's important in life, and this is what you should be living for, and this is what the values that you, that you should prioritize, and it's urging us to cut according to its pattern. And what Paul says here is he says, throw the pattern away. Don't live your life inwardly according to the pattern of a world that is set against God, doesn't believe in God anyway. Rather, what are we to do? He says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This world that we live in, you know, 
to, to, to realize the challenge that we have, in some ways a greater challenge than any Christians in 2,000 years of the church have ever had, because never has there ever been a time when the pattern of thinking of this world is more pressed upon us. To think about media, for example, you realize that there are logarithms and, and, and engineers who are brilliant that are designing the software that is behind uh, Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and TikTok and, and other things, it is entirely designed to capture our minds and to capture our imagination. These, these CEOs are so effective at managing people's behavior that advertisers are making them some of the richest people who have ever lived on this planet are the CEOs of these, of these companies. They are so effective at creating patterns of behavior that people will follow. And you and I are awash in this all the time. To think of how many hours the average American evangelical Christian is exposed to media and engineered logarithms that are designed not to draw your heart closer to God, but to draw your heart and your wallet, by the way, closer to the pattern of the thinking of this world. What do we need? Perhaps more than ever before, we need a different pattern. We need to follow a different kind of thinking so we don't buy into the pattern of this world. And what Paul says here is that pattern of thinking is called renewal. You see it there. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. How do we do that? And this gets us back to the, the, the power of habit. Okay, The reason we've called it habits of grace is that we are, we are wanting our church family to create healthy rhythms of life that put us in the channel of God's grace and transforming power so that we can be made into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And I would argue maybe more than any other habit, prayer, heart, prayer you know, th- these two go together, we need to think differently. And the way that we think differently is we renew our minds. We do this as we consider the world biblically and we look at ourselves truthfully. Now let's get practical. How do we do it? Okay? I hope you're on board with me what I'm saying. Okay? How do we how do we do this? And the first, and I would say probably the most uh, the, the preeminent biblical uh, encouragement is for us to align our brains with the truth of God's word. Now, we've spent a couple weeks on this. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on the role of, of the Bible, but just, just to say it again, a Bibleless Christian is in a very perilous place spiritually. I read somewhere, the sign of a good pastor is his people read the Bible. I would agree with that. And we're encouraging you uh, to, to read the Bible and talked in the last couple weeks about some ways to do that. Why is that so important? Because when, when I am reading the Bible, this is telling me what is actually true. This is telling me what God says in my life is, is true, that I can bank on it. It is true to God. It is absolutely true. It is eternally true. It is always true. 
And so when I am exposed to God's word, when the tea bag is in my mind, it is helping me to cut my thinking according to the pattern of how God looks and thinks about the world around me. And there is nothing like God's word uh, that does it. Because what it does is it confronts inwardly when my thinking is stinking. My thinking is stinking, I should say. That would rhyme better. What do I mean by that? Well, I remember I was an associate pastor for five years before I came uh, here to Bethel. And the senior pastor that I served under, I, I don't remember the details of the situation, but there was some situation that he was dealing with, and there was an individual who was saying, well, this is what I think. And he said to him or her, I don't remember which it was, he said, well, the Bible says this, and you say that, which should I choose to believe? And that stuck with me, because that's kind of a hard argument, isn't it? If you're a Christian, no, I think you should you know, forget the Bible and go with what I think is right. But this, is, this is, gets at what I'm, what I'm trying to emphasize to us, why this is so important, is the Bible confronts my stinking thinking. How? It reorients me towards the way that God sees things and what is true. So, for example, when my fears rise within me, God's word says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. What does that do to that fearful thought? It confronts it. When my anger boils, you probably had some of this this week, I did. God's word says, the anger of man does not fulfill the righteousness of God. It confronts that with like, okay, this is stinking thinking. When I'm selfish, God's word confronts me with the example of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples and saying, now follow my pattern I've given to you. When I am proud, God's word says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? Which is what he says to Job. When I'm materialistic, God's word says, nothing in this world will satisfy you except me, Ecclesiastes. And see what I'm getting at is that left to myself, I can become more angry, more proud, more materialistic, and just let that thought just ruminate and dominate my life. And I'm sure there are some people here, there are certain thoughts that have dominated your life for years. You cannot, you, you struggle, you were like, I maybe even want to get over that thought, but you nurse it, you feed it, and that root of bitterness goes deep into your heart. And God's word is like an instrument panel on an airplane. Now, I have two immediate family members who are in the airline industry, one of which is a captain for Southwest Airlines, which basically makes me an expert on flying. <laughs> so a pilot, as I understand it, you can get your pilot's license, but it's another level to get your instrument rating. There's probably a pilot here who would say, yes, that's, that, that is indeed true. And to get an instrument rating, there's a certain level of certification where you learn a little secret. And that is, that as a pilot, it's very easy to get disoriented. You know, to, to think the trim is here, 
to think the elevation is there, to think you're at this altitude, but you're not on the, on the foggy night. A pilot has to trust their instruments, not their feelings. This is what tragically took JFK Jr.'s life, if you remember some years ago. Okay. And in this way, God's word is like, is like the instrument panel for a pilot, where my feelings so often dominated by my flesh, the old man rises up, wants me to say, this is the way to think about the world, and that's how to think about that person, and this is how to respond in that situation. And my feelings, you know, my mind can take those feelings and think, yeah, that's the way that I should do that. But then as I am, you know, piloting my plane in my life, God's word is saying things different and is by the power of the Spirit of God, able to change the way that I think about this, to reorient the way that I am viewing this matter. This is what it means to have a renewed mind. It is a mind that is being uh, controlled by the Word of God in such a way that the patterns of thinking and valuing here are here and are here. And as a Christian, we should want that. We should want that. So the habit of grace here is a regular rhythm of time with the spiritual instrument panel. And it needs to be regular, just like with a pilot. The longer a pilot goes without checking the instruments, the more likely they are off course. You want to regularly check in to make sure, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm there, I'm there, I'm there. Similarly, the role of God's word in the life of the Christian is a regular rhythm of heart check for the instrument panel to know that I'm not going off course here too much, if at all. A daily rhythm, okay? A daily rhythm. Now, I got a pro tip for you. If you're like, I need that. I need my mind to be thinking more the way that God thinks about things. I got a pro tip for you. Memorize God's word, okay? Memorize God's word. It's familiar, but it's so true. Psalm 119, verse 11. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Even Jesus in the temptation, think of this, even the Son of God grappling with Satan and the three temptations in the wilderness, how did he do it? He brought to bear specific passages in the Bible to the temptation that Satan was given to him. That is how he re rebuffed it and rebuked it and ultimately overcame it. And if the Son of God needs that truth in there, how much more like schmoes like you and me, you know, need to be, ha have enough truth of God's word in my heart that I can stand against temptation. So to that end, today, what I would like to do with you right now is I would like to memorize half of Psalm 136 with you, okay? There are 22 verses. We're going to memorize half of it together. So I'm going to ask you to stand. Please stand right now. And let's put on the screen, uh, not that verse. Okay. Now, my part will be the first part. Your part is the second part. His love endures forever. Let's practice that together. 
His love endures forever. Okay. Now, I'm just going to do a, a few verses here. And if you don't know where I'm getting with this, the entire psalm, half of it, is his love endures forever. So if you get his love endures forever, you can you know, call your mom and say, at church we memorized half of a psalm. I'm amazing. Okay, so here we go. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. O him who alone does great wonders. His love endures forever. Who by his understanding made the heavens. His love forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters. His love forever. And we'll stop there. You can sit down, okay? Congratulations, you just memorized half of... A psalm. This campus is amazing. This would have taken Crown Point weeks to get done. <laughs> but what do we see uh, in the psalmist's writing here is repetition. And when you memorize scripture, at least for me, I have to repeat it over and over and over again. And that repetition and the memorization has a way of planting it in my heart. And I would encourage you to memorize God's word. And maybe we'll provide, by the way, in coming weeks, maybe six, six key verses for every Christian to know or something like that that, that you, could, you could work on. Everyone's going, I'm going to memorize Jesus wept. Uh, so <laughs> congratulations with that. So memorize God's word. Now, the rest of this message, I want to talk about something that I think is often, um, I don't know, I, I've never heard a message on this, I don't think. I want to talk with you about another pro tip, contemplation, contemplation. By contemplation, I mean the actual thoughts that we have in our hearts and our minds over the course of a day. If I might ask you, what do you think about mostly? What do you think about mostly? And I can just about guarantee that whatever you, maybe the three things that you would, you would say that you think about mostly, they somehow relate to a passion or a love that you have in your life. And that love could be the love of family. And maybe you think about your family members. It could be a love of some hobby of some kind. And your mind just naturally goes to that, uh, that recreation, that thing that you, that you like so much. It could be your career. But here's the thing. Without intentional direction, our minds have default settings. Okay? If you just sip coffee by the pool uh, and, or the, the lake and you just kind of let your mind go, your mind will go to certain default settings. Unfortunately, because of the flesh, these are often sinful thoughts, like lustful thoughts resentment, jealousy, our unintentional thoughts, where we just let it go, flow downward and spiral that direction. So when I talk about contemplation, what we're talking about is intentionally directing our thoughts towards a truth or thinking about things truthfully. 
It is essentially, it's like, you know, in some, in some ways, I don't have this in my notes and I gotta watch my time, but my, my daughter loves horses and so we're all the time watching these like Hallmark horse you know, movies, which always involve a girl whose parents die and she has to go live with her uncle on the ranch and you know, there's some Mustang that's running around and she loves the Mustang and the Mustang has to be broken and by you know, uh, breaking the, the Mustang and, and winning the the show at the end of the whole thing, her life is meaningful again. <laughs> That's every one of these movies. I've watched a hundred of them. <laughs> but breaking a horse entails taking over what once ran wild. And I think for many of us, this is a challenge and it will feel like a Mustang that can't be broken. But with God's help, it can be, okay? It can be. To bring my thoughts to bear, to bring my thoughts into submission to myself, to intentionally direct my thoughts towards what is true and thinking about things truthfully, okay, is also holy contemplation. So I, you are not a victim. Your thoughts may feel like they are wild Mustangs, but you are not a victim. And controlling our thoughts and our imagination is one of the most important habits that we can create in our life. It is a grace. It is a habit of grace. And it is a sure sign of spiritual maturity. You find somebody who can as master over their thoughts, that is a very godly man or woman. It is a tremendous challenge. But an encouragement, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I can control my thoughts rather than my thoughts controlling me. Many people allow their thoughts to control them. I think of young people in particular, um, where I, I, and we all were there at one time, but think of it, you know, I was a youth pastor for so many years, for many years, and young people often just let their thoughts and passions run wild. They are untamed Mustangs. But with God's help, we can bring these to bear. And this is largely done by mentally speaking or thinking in my mind a thought to the other thought. Now, this is getting complicated a little bit. But we are able to think thoughts about our thoughts inwardly. In fact, to ask the question, how many thoughts can you have at the same time? You're like, I don't know. I never thought about it. <laughs> you know, the famous uh, pastor, one of my heroes, Charles Spurgeon, says that he once counted eight simultaneous thoughts he had at one time. He was brilliant, okay? Eight at the same time. That's impressive, unless you're a woman. I have never been a woman, but now I live with three of them. And women are uh, unique in that you can have lots of thoughts and feelings simultaneously. Some of them completely ir irrationally on the opposite sides of the spectrum, yet held in unity somehow within you. I don't know, but... Here is a verse that 
I would like all of you to try to memorize, and it's critical with this habit. Here's 2 Corinthians 10.5. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Here's the key part now. And take every thought captive to obey Christ. Take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now, we don't take thoughts captive that are already according to Christ's will. Those we don't, uh, you know, we don't pull a gun on those. Rather, we want to boost those, and we want to encourage those. We pour fertilizer on those. We don't take them captive. But what do I do with destructive thoughts or sinful thoughts, the lustful thoughts? What do I do with those? These must be taken captive. And all of us deal with this. In fact, I'll just say, if you knew some of the thoughts that come to my mind, you would never want me to be your pastor. Honestly, it's embarrassing to me at times. The, the kinds of thoughts that come to me out of the blue, I'm like, you know, where did that thought come from? And I'm convinced from the pit of hell, some of the thoughts that come to my mind are hellish thoughts. They are not sanctified or holy in any way. If they suddenly were on a screen right now, I would die of embarrassment. <laughs> Truly. This might be a tempting thought. It might be a revenge thought. It might be a fantasy. Your response tells me I'm not the only one who can relate to this. In fact... On the count of three, I would like for all of us to say out loud the most. <laughs> no, let's not do that. But let's do this. As the Puritans used to say, we must preach to ourselves. We must preach to ourselves. I am not the only preacher in this room. In fact, if you're a Christian, you better be a pretty good preacher, especially to your inner self. Preach to yourself and to that sinful thought what is true. So, when I'm on my spiritual A game, and I am not always, trust me, so I'm, I'm not standing up here like, man, I've got, I'm totally there with all of this. But when I'm on my spiritual A game and I have a thought that comes from the pit of hell, what I oftentimes do is I actually talk to it. Or I'll pray right away, and I'll say something like, God, I don't agree with that thought that's in my mind right now. I don't like it. I don't want to live according to it. I ask you to forgive me for it and give me freedom from it. And sometimes, if it's a pervasive thought, I'll say it out loud. Okay. I would encourage you maybe to try to create that habit. When that thought comes... Take it captive. That's the sense there, where you, you pull the gun, you pull the spear on it, and you do not allow it to rule in your inner self. And by doing that, what happens is the thought remains a thought. And I don't think the thought at the thought level is itself sin. But if I don't take it captive, the thought takes root. And now maybe I think about the thought a few times. And the more I think about it, the more it begins to maybe delight me or it begins to feed a certain sort of unsavory aspect of my character. Unguarded, 
and, and not taken captive, it can become a legitimate temptation. And this is part of what James 1 talks about, the, the, the steps towards sin. We must battle it on the inside and to take our thoughts captive, to be masters over our thoughts because we eventually do what we think. And so we have to preach truth to ourselves. So when that thought comes to my mind, now God's word begins talking to me and identifying that as a destructive thought, a displeasing to God thought, a thought that if I ever acted upon that would ruin my testimony and would ruin my, my standing and would ruin my life. That's what the truth starts talking to me like that. And when it does, now I have ammo in the gun to take the thought captive and to say, no, I'm not going to think about you anymore. Now, here's an illustration my friend David Murray talks about. I think it's very good. And this, I think, I have found this helpful in my, in my just even preparing this sermon. I hope it's a blessing to you. To think about our thoughts like email, okay, like email. Every email account has an inbox, it has a junk box, and it has a clutter box. If you have email, this is what you have on your screen as well. You're familiar with this. And somehow in the you know, stratosphere of email, there is some kind of a filter that is sending these emails to these various boxes. If it's a personal email, it goes into the inbox. If it's like a mass junk email, it, it, it appears in the, in the junk email. If it's, if it's not sure which it is, it, kinda, it goes into the clutter email. Taking every thought captive is learning the habit of evaluating our thoughts and placing those thoughts into categories like inbox, clutter box, and junk box. If it is a, if it is a life-giving thought, Contemplation wants to think about that. Keep opening that email and reading it and reading it and reading it. If it's a truth, if it's, a, if it's life-giving, if it's spiritually uplifting, if it draws you closer to Christ, you keep that in the inbox. Never delete it. Some of you have emails. I, I never delete emails. My inbox, I got tens of thousands of emails in my inbox, uh, and, and that's probably not good. But um, it's great spiritually. You don't want to lose those life-giving thoughts. If it is a thought that you're not sure about, or it's a silly thought, it's an incidental thought, put in the clutter box. Maybe I'll open it, maybe I won't, doesn't matter. But when I have a thought that is a destructive thought, it is a sinful thought, it is a not true according to God's word thought, we have to quarantine those thoughts into the junk box, and we don't open the junk box. I am exercising a kind of thought over my thought in which I am refusing to think about that anymore. And that might sound like, you know, the old joke about try not to think about a large pink elephant. Don't think about it. And of course, by not thinking about it, it just makes you think about it. It could sound like that. But in reality, it is a part of the grace of God in our life that we even have a junk box. Because when you're, when you're, before you're saved, your junk box is your inbox. When you become a Christian, you, you, we get a junk box. And we can take those things and set them aside and exercise mastery over our thoughts 
and refuse to think about them anymore. Now you might say, well, how am I supposed to know which thought is to go to which box? Listen to Philippians 4.8, and we're in the final stretch here. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Hear that? Think, maul, ponder, contemplate, ruminate. You just sit on anything that falls into that category right there. That's the grid. So when a thought comes to me in my mind, and it is an envious thought, covetous thought, lustful thought, whatever it might be, I think about the thought and ask the question, is this true to God? Is this a thought that God's in heaven going? Is this a kind of thought that draws me closer to God, increases my love for Christ? Would I commend this thought to my family, to my children, to my friends? Like, hey, think this way. And if it is a thought like that, it goes in the inbox and I keep thinking about it. If it is not a thought like that, then I junk it. And again, perhaps to do this, to have the habit of saying out loud, God, I don't want to think this way anymore. I don't agree with that thought. That is not the kind of person that I want to be. Please give me freedom from it. Perhaps memorize Philippians 4.8 so you got the grid all the time. Is it lovely? Is it just? Is it beautiful? Is it good? Might be a good idea. But as my thinking is more excellent and lovely, the choices that I make in my life more align with what God deems excellent and good because we eventually live what we think. And when we can align ourselves with the lovely and the good and the beautiful, this indeed is a blessed life, the life that all of us so much desire. Which brings us back to Romans 12. Do not follow the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your Mind. What is that? A renewed mind is in charge of its thoughts and intentionally thinks about the good and the true and refuses to give space in its brain for anything else. And I would encourage all of us to ask God to help me with my contemplation throughout the day to take captive every thought and submit it to the Lord Jesus Christ. I would say to you, this is a most essential habit of grace, and I hope today's message is helpful to all of us. Amen.